welcome to Mother of Dogs, the podcast for pet lovers who want to live their best life alongside their fur babies. I'm Tina, dog mom to Winnie and Chloe, my two French bulldogs who bring fun and chaos wherever they go. If you want to hear stories from modern pet parents about how they navigate life and business with their furry friend, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to connect with you. I've been admiring the Lucky Dog Library from afar, and I learned about Lucky Dog Library through someone very special to me. Her name is Liz. She started off as my academic advisor and mentor in my master's and doctorate programs. And since then, over the years, she has become another mother to me. I would send her pictures of Winnie and Chloe, and she found the Lucky Dog Library on her walk and would send me photos because she thought I would love it. And of course I loved it. I was trying to see if I could figure out when I received the first photos. And I think it might've been October of 2021. Um, there's pumpkins <laughs> and it was so fun and decorated for Halloween and it changes constantly. So can you share what is the Lucky Dog Library? Yes, you bet. So it's evolved through the years, but the original idea was to offer something fun for dogs who walked by, which we have a lot of traffic because we're close to a city park. And I had seen a clipping in 2020 from a People magazine, and I actually still have that clipping, of a gentleman who had made a crate of sticks, said, fetch one, leave one. And I obviously cut it out for a reason and kept it because I just loved the idea. I thought it was super cute and fun and had it tucked away all these years. So that's what our dog library started as, was just a place for dogs to come and grab a stick or a tennis ball. Oh my gosh, I love that. So there's been different iterations, like you said, it started off with the sticks and then now what has it evolved into? Yeah, we've gone a little bonkers, <laughs> but had a lot of fun, <laughs> so much fun doing it. So yeah, started with the crate with sticks and balls. And then my husband built a display box, which are common around Portland. We see a lot of display boxes in people's front yards with um, poems and meaningful quotations or book excerpts, which are lovely. And we thought that would be a fun addition, but to make it dog themed. So I'm constantly scouring books that I have or the internet or dog cartoons, anything that's dog themed that is quick and fun or meaningful for people as they walk by to look at and to read. One of my favorite sources, for example, is the poetry that comes from Mary Oliver's book, Dog Songs. I just love that. So that's the kind of content I look for for that. And then one day, probably in the summer, the weather was nice, lots of kids who were out of school walking by, and I thought, why don't I set out a basket of dog-themed kids' books and just see what happens? And of course, that's another common thing um, in Portland and, and around the country, really, the emergence of these little free libraries, and uh, set out a basket of books and seemed to be getting quite a bit of traffic and interest in that. And turned to my husband and said, would you build me a library? <laughs> and bless his heart, he did and painted it and hand lettered it. So we set that out after a bit. And that is still out there today, mostly stocked with dog themed books. And I would say heavy on the end of kids books because we are really close to an elementary school. But we find all sorts of books in there, which is great. 
And then because the dog library had a flat roof, I thought, you know, what would be perfect on top of that is a miniature dog park. <laughs> Portland is known for having one of the smallest parks in the world. I think it's called Mills End Park. And I thought we could be the smallest dog park in the world. <laughs> so yeah, just gathered up fun little plastic dog figures and little miniature park benches and play equipment and miniature trees and set it all out there. It is a super fun attraction for kids and families walking by to stop and play with. Oh my gosh, I love that. So how did you figure out the location? Good question. I think we just decided that the front yard was going to be accessible to everybody. And we tucked it at the south end of our property because it felt a little more private. I wanted to give people space to be able to read what was in the display box or feel comfortable playing with the dog park or browsing through the books. So it's a nice shady spot. There's a little bit of privacy, but it's really easy to get to all the features of the library from there. Awesome. Can you tell us about Lucky's adoption and how you found him? Because it's the Lucky Dog Library is named after your pup, Lucky. That's right. Yeah, Lucky. So I'll start with maybe why I went looking for Lucky, because that's that's a big part of the story. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013 and spent most of 2014 going through a significant amount of treatment. And then 2015 rolled around and I was done, as done as anybody can be with treatment and, and thoughts of cancer, um, but really found myself just kind of shell-shocked. Like, who am I now? What does my life look like now? What are my priorities now? And also just really anxious and scared and spending way too much time Googling scary things on the internet. And I needed a place to better direct all of that energy. And then alongside of that, I attended a weekend retreat for breast cancer survivors. And we were invited to write down a couple of personal goals that were really important to us. And I had in the back of my mind um, that at some point in my life, I wanted to work with a therapy dog. I had read a book that had inspired me a while back called A Dog Walks Into a Nursing Home by Sue Halpern. And that had stayed with me as something that I would really like to do. So I wrote that down and somehow the act of writing it down seemed like it put it into the universe, that this was something I wanted to pursue. And our current dog, who we still have, Zippy, is a little Chihuahua mix. And he is absolutely not therapy dog material. <laughs> He's very anxious and reactive and suspicious of 99% of people, I would say. So I knew I needed a different dog to fulfill this dream of mine. And I went out on PetFinder and started just plugging in criteria that I thought might lead me to the right dog, knowing that temperament is hugely important in a therapy dog. And that's not really something you can train. It's just who they are in their very core. Um, and that was going to be difficult to assess by just clicking off a few boxes in PetFinder. But I did stumble upon Lucky's profile in PetFinder, and I'm in Portland. He was in Texas at the time, being cared for by this wonderful group called Joy Rides Rescue. And it wasn't really going to be practical to fly there to meet him in person. So I really just took a big gamble. And based on 
how they described him and how he appeared in our brief FaceTime call, which is the only way I really met him. Wow. Yeah, we did a FaceTime, but I just decided to roll the dice. And I'm such a believer that once you put out into the universe, what it is you want, sometimes the universe just answers. And it, it, it was a gamble for a couple of reasons. I mean, I, I was really committed to adopting a rescue dog for this. Of course, a lot of people look towards certain breeds. Golden Retrievers, of course, are absolutely magical, wonderful dogs. But I, I wanted to go the rescue dog route. But of course, rescue dogs have stories of their own, trauma of their own, that you really don't know what that's going to look like for you in trying to be the best family that you can be for them. So ro- rolled the dice and just... Uh, based on the lovely profile that they had written up about him, which basically said over and over and over, Lucky loves, 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 loves people. (laughs) And I thought that is really what I'm looking for, a dog who just seeks to connect with people. And um, I said, let's let's do it. Let's fly him up. So he got on a United flight and landed it. Yeah, landed at PDX. And my two sons and I went to pick him up on... October 30th of 2016. Oh my goodness. Wow. Thanks so much for sharing that story. And first, I just want to say, I'm so glad you're here with us and going through everything that you've had to go through health-wise. Do you feel like you're intuitive? Do you normally have gut instincts that you are very confident in? Interesting question. I do think I have gut instincts, but I don't always follow them. And I've Mm -hmm. been trying to follow them. And in fact, I have a watch that I have something engraved on that says, trust yourself. And I really, I try to remember that because usually my instincts lead me where I want to go. And I just, you know, why did I decide to start looking at that moment for Lucky? Why did his profile pop up when he wasn't in Portland? Why did I decide it was a good idea to fly him here when I had never met him. I don't know, but um, he turned out to be the perfect dog for us, for me, for therapy work. Your husband and your sons, were they as supportive as you were sure about the whole thing? My husband has never been with me in person when we've adopted one of our dogs. He has just given his love and support and said, go for it. So I'm very grateful for that because we've had some wonderful friends because of it. Wonderful animal friends. And my sons, I think we're super excited to have a big dog. Mm-hmm. Zippy, Zippy, our little chihuahua is yeah. 13, 13 pounds. And we yeah. have to be care, careful and around him. And Lucky was a bigger dog and they, they thought he's a boy's dog. They were really excited to have him. So That's so funny. I saw Winnie and Chloe through pictures and I chose them that way. My husband didn't choose. And now he's so excited that they have complete opposite personalities. He says, I'm so glad we have two, because if we just had Winnie, we wouldn't have Chloe and this other personality. She's so energetic and she's just such a different dog than Winnie. So we are able to have both experiences. They're both amazing. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yes, yes. You you just get a richer experience. So Lucky joined your family in 2016, a few years after you completed the treatment for breast cancer. How important was Lucky in your personal recovery? Oh, he was hugely important because I think going through 
treatment and then the year that followed where I was just going to uh, free fall spinning out a little bit with my thoughts. I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I needed a place to direct that energy. And after all those kind of gray, gloomy days, I feel like Lucky showed up and just parted the clouds for me and made me laugh and smile with his sweet personality, but also just gave me such a sense of purpose waking up every day. One of the best things, as it turns out, although it was hard at times, he absolutely refused to go potty in our backyard for whatever reason, the smells that existed or the closeness to the house. He just needed to be farther away. But that meant a really diligent walking regiment <laughs> that started first thing in the morning, every morning without fail. In a way, that was great, though, because I woke up every day and I knew exactly what I was going to start my day with. I was going to pour my cup of coffee and grab his leash and we were going to go to the park and welcome the morning together. And so many mornings I would just stand there and close my eyes and face the sun and just feel that moment while he was just racing around and stretching his legs and welcoming the day with me. I love that so much. I've never been a morning person at all. <laughs> Me and Chloe have forced that. And now it's my favorite time of day when they wake up. It almost feels like Christmas morning. They are so excited to be alive and to see you. And like you said, stretch their legs and to go outside. And yeah, it really forces like a new energy about the day. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you grow up in Portland and did you have dogs growing up? I uh, grew up in Eugene, so not too far okay. from here. And funny story, I was actually terrified of dogs when I was little. And I don't really remember this incident, but according to the family, we were at a park and I got flattened by a dog and uh, became very, very fearful of dogs. And my mom had grown up with dogs and absolutely loved all animals, including dogs. And she didn't want that for me. And so soon after we went and adopted our first little dog named Breezy, who was probably some little poodle mix and just adorable and sweet and fun and the love of our lives. And that did it for me. I think having that experience was, I guess, a core memory for me. It made me the dog person I am today. Wow. That's awesome that your mom made the effort to ensure that you did have these relationships. And then it ended up coming back again later in life where that relationship is something that was so healing for you. That's incredible. Right. It's like it came full circle. Yeah. Yeah. You had a therapeutic experience with Lucky, but you already knew that that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to have a therapy team together. How was that training? What was the process with that? Yeah, Lucky was just wonderful from the get-go in terms of his temperament, which is just who he was, not something you can really train necessarily. Very sweet, very loving, um, very interested in meeting any and all people. So that gave me a huge head start in my goal. Um, but then, of course, there's certain skills um, that are really important as well. So we started just because I didn't know him and he didn't know me and we needed to become a good team and good communicators with each other. We started with a, just a basic class and um, moved into more of an intermediate class. And then I think our third and final class was through pet partners. Um, and it really was 
preparing you not only for the formal evaluation that you'd have to go through to become a registered team, but also just to really make sure that your dog wanted and was excited and felt comfortable in this type of work. There's exposure to a lot of different ages and life situations and even equipment like walkers and wheelchairs and things that some dogs get really nervous around. So this final class was really preparation for all of that. And one of the things I like about pet partners, I just want to add is, is that they are always emphasizing that you are responsible for being an advocate for your animal, which I, I really appreciate because if I had had this dream, but I adopted a dog that didn't want to do this and I was kind of forcing them in that direction, you know, that's just really not fair to anybody. So by going through all these classes, I really got to make sure this was going to work most importantly for Lucky as his advocate. And it was clear he was doing great. He did have a few anxieties at home, which stopped me a little bit in thinking, hmm, um, I wonder how this is going to work out in the evaluation. Beeping noises, like our fireplace turning on and making a beeping noise or you know, the usual mail package deliveries would send him into a barking frenzy, <laughs> um, some anxieties. But those, I think, were pretty limited overall in his behavior. And, and for the most part, he was just happy to be with you and happy to be doing what you were doing and happy to meet new people. So we went through all those classes and then lots and lots of practice in public settings that were a little bit chaotic and a little unpredictable. We would go to Home Depot a lot, just stroll up and down the aisles and say hi to people and smell unusual smells and just kind of see how he felt in that setting. Um, outdoor malls are a great place as well. Nurseries. We live near a school. So of course, lots of traffic going um, in front of our house every day. That was great too. Just getting used to different places, sounds, smells, even floor textures can be really important. That can be a deal breaker for some dogs. They just are, are really anxious on slippery tiles, for example. So um, just really uncovering like, is that going to work for your dog is important. So Went through all that training, did lots and lots of practice, and then evaluation day arrived, and I was so nervous. It felt like I was cramming at the last second for a college final or something, but they called Lucky back in, and there were probably four or five evaluators, I would say, in the room, and they were kind of actors in a way. They were acting out parts. Maybe somebody would act mm. out the part of somebody who was really loud and potentially scary to a dog, knowing that you're going to encounter all sorts of behaviors in therapy settings and monitoring his reaction and also my ability to help comfort Lucky and coach him through a situation like that. So there were about 20 exercises or so, I think, that we went through. And at the end, we were called out and given our results. And Lucky actually qualified for work in a complex setting, which I was wow. so, so proud of him. So we could have gone to hospitals and other settings like that that are a little more intense. Um, but back to pet partners emphasizing, you know, how important it is to advocate for your animal. I felt like a quieter setting was going to be a better fit for Lucky. So that's where I steered us. Wow. So the process from you getting Lucky 
and then integrating him into your home and your family and understanding his demeanor. When did you start to do those activities and then pursue the therapy and how long till you were able to do the work? So we adopted him in October of 2016. And I I think we started our first class maybe in February, January or February of 2017, and then really continued through those several classes until the fall. And then uh, about a year later, it was about a year of, uh, like you said, integrating him into our family, making sure he was comfortable and felt loved and safe, and then going through these various classes and passing our evaluation. That was about a year. So he passed his evaluation in October 2017, and then I did a little bit of research into what options there might be in our community. And I think we started officially with his therapy work in December of 2017. Wow. That seems not quick, but kind of. (laughs) That's amazing. I totally agree. I did not know how any of this was going to come together, if it was going to come together. And I was totally okay with that. I mean, he was just, again, so therapeutic for me in the simplest of ways, like taking our morning walk together. And I told people, you know what, at the end of the day, we might just have a dog from Houston who we adore, and that'll be the outcome of this. But it just seemed like things were moving in the right direction. And it came together a lot faster than I thought. I feel like Lucky knew my heart and knew what I wanted and didn't want to disappoint me in a way. Like he was just so sweet that way. Yeah. It's funny. Winnie is my angel dog and I got him first and I didn't realize the dynamic that Chloe would come in and disrupt in a sense or they would have to build a relationship between them. And that took a long time. So it's been a big adjustment. I think that they are siblings now where they're kind of frenemies. But in the beginning, I think the age difference, I had gotten Chloe just as Winnie kind of started to chill out. And then Chloe was this three-month-old wild child. So I feel like the energies between them we're just not really gelling for a little bit and jealousy. <laughs> so Winnie is my dog and Chloe adores my husband. She is such a daddy's girl. So we both have that attention from our pups. So was it simple to have Lucky and Zippy together and did they get along? You know, Again, like I just say Lucky all the time. I was like, I got Lucky. I got Lucky. <laughs> but we literally, we, we probably did not do the best job of, of safely introducing them in hindsight, I would have done it differently, but I think we were excited and we walked in the door with Lucky and uh, Zippy approached him and probably as Lucky was getting close to his bed or a toy or something territorial, Zippy snarled and made it real clear who was the boss. And Lucky's like, cool, I got it. And Honestly, after that one initial incident, they got along just fine. They didn't necessarily play together or bond in such a way that they were inseparable, but they were really rather sweet with each other. Like they would share a bed together. They did not fight over food. They didn't fight for attention. I would say they were very compatible that way. And that was a real gift to have that be so seamless, that introduction. Yeah, definitely. Was his name Lucky when you adopted him or did you rename him? 
he was lucky, but I think they renamed him the Shelter Joyride Rescue because I have some paperwork from Texas that said his name was Herbie. <laughs> and I think that might've been the second home he was with. So I don't really know what his original name was, but Lucky is just obviously very perfect for him. Can you talk to me a little bit about the therapeutic visits that you guys had together? Yeah, so I, I was looking for a quieter setting for Lucky and we live right near an assisted living facility that has a memory care unit. And I thought that would be a good place to start. So that's where we first started. And I would walk in one or two times a week and in the lobby almost every single time was a lovely gentleman named John who was 98 years old who loved dogs. And that was one of the joyful things about going there, of course, is that a lot of the residents, depending on their setup, but a lot of the residents couldn't have animal friends there, but had animals in the, in the past and still deeply loved animals as I did. And so it was fun to share that with them. So usually I would start my visit with John and Lucky would just lay his head in John's lap and try to lick John's ears and <laughs> just give him lots of love. And then I would, from there, head down to the memory care area. And that could be challenging at times because there was honestly some communication barriers. I'm not sure I always made sense to the residents and I wasn't always sure what they were trying to convey to me. But I think the beautiful thing was that Lucky made sense. Lucky made sense to them. And often Lucky would spark a conversation about a dog or a cat or an animal that they had that they felt like they wanted to share with me, which I always thoroughly enjoyed. So we would hang out there. And of course, you know, Lucky loved looking for crumbs underneath tables and grew to especially love what was called Milkshake Monday. That was, that was a good day to go. <laughs> That's so cute. How long would you be there? Usually about an hour, hour and a half. And it's really important to watch your dog's body language because it's exhausting. They're kind of on in that capacity, the same way people are on if they're in a setting like a teaching or speaking or engaging. Um, and dogs definitely have a a point at which they're tired. I would always look for his signs that he was checking out a little bit and we would make sure and leave before that. But yeah, an hour was a good amount of time. In addition to that opportunity, we also looked into a program in Portland called Read to the Dogs, which is hosted by our local library. And funny thing, I had actually taken my two sons to this very same program when they were little because they loved dogs. And it was a great way to get them excited about summertime reading. If you could go to a local branch and read to a dog. And I, again, had registered that as something that would be really fun to do someday. So I found a branch that was pretty close to us and we were given a time slot and I would just take Lucky there with some treats and some dog books that I had. But of course, we were happy to read any and all books that people wanted to read to him. But I think the beauty of it was it just created a really safe warm, comforting space for youngsters who were practicing reading skills, but felt self-conscious maybe, or didn't want to be corrected every time they mispronounced a word or wanted to just be free in reading how they wanted to read. And we would be there usually a couple of hours and 
probably have three to four youngsters read to Lucky and he would just lay alongside and they would stroke his fur while they read. And I think one of the things that always tickled me was he usually fell asleep and the oh. kids know <laughs> the kids noticed that and they're like, is he sleeping? Is he listening to me? <laughs> so sweet. Oh, yeah. I love that. So are these volunteer opportunities or are they paid work for you? Oh, this was all volunteer. Yep. This was all through. So we were registered through the pet partners organization and they're great about letting people know what opportunities exist in the community. And then you reach as a team, Lucky and myself would reach out to these libraries or memory care units and say, are you looking for it? Would, would you enjoy having somebody come with a dog? Yeah. So it was all volunteer work. I love that. I had never experienced dog therapy until I went to a conference recently, the psychedelic science conference. And I really missed Winnie and Chloe. It was the first time in a while that I had been away from them. And then I saw that they had a canine corner with therapy dogs and I didn't know what that was about. So I went and I had 15 minutes each day that I was there just in the presence of a therapy dog. And I realized, wow, how medicinal it is. Any dog it didn't have to be mine, but it helped to soften my missing them. I was so impressed with, like you said, the demeanor, just the calmness. They just make you feel so grounded, petting them, being in their presence was just amazing. I love that you did that with Lucky and I can only imagine his sweet demeanor and what he had to feel. And then I remember going back and seeing that they would switch out the dogs or like you said, the dog would be on a break because it had enough for a little while. Yes. I thought it was just so interesting. Like you said, they're on, they do need breaks. Is there a moment or visit that was especially rewarding or memorable in your therapy work or at the library? I had a couple of situations. One was a mom who actually started to cry because I think her daughter had read more aloud with Lucky and with more confidence than ever before. And that was so meaningful to be a witness to that and to feel like Lucky helped inspire that. I was just really touched by that and that she felt comfortable sharing her emotions around that. So that was an honor. And then one of the uh, nice, really special parts too about being at the library, it wasn't just youngsters. Sometimes we'd have adults who were working on learning English. And so it was really fun to read with them as well and to, to be a part of their journey in learning the language and feeling like lucky was cheering them on and I was cheering them on. We were there to support them. So. I love that. I think that having Winnie and knowing what he did for my life when I first got him. And if I had a friend who was having a bad day or not feeling that great, I remember being like, yeah, I just need to bring Winnie with me and visit you or just come over and see Winnie. And there's nothing like watching somebody smile and love on your dog and know that your dog is loving on this person and changing the energy. I think it's magical to see that. I can imagine all of the love that you witnessed. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I feel it in myself. If I walk into a party or a, a situation that's unfamiliar to me, or even a business that has a dog, I am like a magnet to that dog because it's just something in me says, this is a safe, comfortable exchange. I can be safe being myself and just pouring out my love on, on this dog that may not want all my love, but you're going to get all my love. <laughs> but I physically feel myself change when I see a dog in a situation like that. Yeah, it's pretty magical. <laughs> yeah, same. Previous to all of this, did you have a career in healing or health? Because I feel that you have such a wonderful appreciation for that. I had just bounced around to a lot of different jobs, but I would say helping was always at the core of those jobs. I worked as a college admissions counselor for a while. I actually did work at the Oregon Humane Society for a while in fundraising. So that was maybe a, a real direct link to what I'm doing and where my passions are now. And then I worked um, at the Water Bureau helping with water conservation efforts for a while. So jobs that we're not always really related, but usually involved interacting with people and trying to be um, helpful and supportive of people. I feel like with any of the volunteer work I've done, I guess I should have mentioned that aside from these smattering of jobs I had, I kind of just fell into volunteer work through the years, but really the greatest gift is to me. It honestly is. My husband had to take the library down because it just got totally waterlogged over one of our winters and he re completely rebuilt it. And it was it was out of commission for about a month or two. And then he, he, we put it back out the spring and we heard from down the block, this little kid just racing up the block, screaming, it's back. Oh my God. <laughs> it absolutely melted our hearts. It just like, that's the gift that's that we receive. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I can imagine being a kid in your neighborhood. That's so awesome. I love it's that. It's just so cute. Um, so, so I, I don't know. I think Really, it's more drawing from my personal life. This particular effort is a piece of me that allows me to be my creative self that maybe I couldn't find my life's work in or develop a career out of, but I always feel like I have a little burning creativity in me and dogs help bring that out. And so it, it's kind of a match. That's a perfect match that's been building all these years. Yeah, I love that. So. You switch up displays and inventory all the time. You just talked a little bit about your creative part. So is that where you feel like you're able to express yourself as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I love scouring uh, the internet for dog content. I call it dog tent. <laughs> so that's fun because I am exposed to new books, new authors, poetry that I haven't come across before. One of the things I love doing too is maybe taking an excerpt from a book that doesn't really have anything to do about dogs, but it's a common concept or something that's very relatable when you have had the privilege of having a dog in your life and know that love and know that loss. So maybe taking words out of their original context, but applying it in a dog-themed library setting or even song lyrics for that matter. I love extracting song lyrics and then having that accompany maybe an image of some kind. Often I'm looking through our old photos 
And there are thousands and thousands of those photos for me to choose from, like most dog people probably. But one thing I'd love to do eventually is invite either Instagram users or friends and family to share photos with me too, because we all have these huge catalogs of very touching dog photos. Um, so, yeah. It would be very suspicious if you didn't have thousands of photos. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that's very good to hear. <laughs> so yes. basically, you're always on the prowl for, for new content. I also see that you really engage the community, which I absolutely love. There's the sidewalk with chalk and you have questions there and you have little surveys. What has been your favorite so far? Oh, that has been so, so fun. And I don't even know why I started it. I think it was probably Portland weather was really rainy. It was sunny finally one day in the spring. And I thought, I don't know, maybe I should just do a poll out on the sidewalk. And I think my first poll was squirrels, question mark, potential friend or appetizer. <laughs> that was the first poll. And uh, I don't know, it was probably 50-50 on the answers there. But then, yeah, Creative Wheels just got spinning. Like, what could I ask people that people would respond to? Um, sometimes it's just as simple as taking dog attendance. And people walk by and add their dog's name because they were out on a walk and passed the library that day. And it's super fun to see all the names that pop up and all the repeats. And as a result, I feel like I know all these dogs in the neighborhood now that, that make it makes it really fun. But if I had to pick a favorite survey, I do a spin on this in with various questions, but it usually is something like true story. One time my dog ate a fill in the blank. And it's crazy the things that people have put down. I think anything from, let's see, um, an entire pumpkin pie, earplugs, a PVC pipe, Hanukkah candles, a poopy diaper that resulted in a $5,000 surgery, um, a, a tube of sunscreen, um, you name it. So that's always really interesting and always makes me very, very, very grateful for the excellent veterinarian care that we have available. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So you do see repeat customers. Do you ever go out there and greet some of the pups? I totally do. Yes. I mean, I, I love that too. And that feels so organic about this whole thing. Like I never had a real vision of how this library was going to unfold, but I just kind of see where it goes every day. And a good example is this one couple in the neighborhood who have this very sweet dog and we became friends on Instagram and she was pregnant this last year and got to see through her photos and posts how she was doing. And finally, the other day, they were out on one of their first family walks with their new son. And I ran out there and like, oh, it's got to meet him and share a dog book with him. And those are people I probably would never have met if not for the library. So the resulting connections are just really sweet. I'm grateful for them. Love that. You started the Lucky Dog Library during the pandemic. So that's helped engage your community and, like you said, make friends and be able to still keep track of people, see the growth around. Yes, yes, exactly. It was a way to see people going by and enjoying the library, but just wave out through yeah. the window. And also, one of the greatest parts of the library, I think, for me is knowing that it offers a destination. And I always think back to when my sons were little 
and we had a dog then named Tippy, and it was just a long day for all of us being in the house. And, you know, it was, it was just vital every day or multiple times a day to get out um, for all of us. And one of the ways that I got them out the door was by saying, let's go visit the chicken house. That was a destination. That was a really big deal to them. And it was just a house about a mile away that had chickens in their front yard and sometimes would set out feed so you could feed the chickens. And that was enough. That was like really exciting to them. And I love knowing that that same thing may be happening um, because of the Lucky Dog Library, that families somewhere might be saying, we need to get out of the house. We all need some fresh air. Our dog needs a walk. Let's go to the Lucky Dog Library. So that's great knowing that we might be a destination for some people. And we'll often have families with young kids who will spend 20 25 minutes in the front yard, just playing with the little miniature dog park. I love that. That happened just this morning. I went out to deposit some more tennis balls in the crate and this family had probably been out there 20 minutes. And I just said, Oh, that's great. I'm so happy you're enjoying it. Stay as long as you want. I love that. And Liz, who sends me pictures. I wouldn't have known about the library otherwise, but that helped to connect us and we would talk about it. So it was something that you're probably touching way more people than you're even aware of. It is crazy how, yeah, because of social media or just our, our connections with our friends and family by taking a quick photo and sending it, how we find each other. One of the best things that I think has emerged from the Lucky Dog Library is also this new community that's evolved in our neighborhood called Sidewalk Joy. Um, There are in Portland, all of these, as it turns out, a lot of people who have these little art installations in their front yards. Ours, of course, is dog themed, but there's dinosaur themed exhibits and little free art galleries where you can take a miniature piece of art or leave a miniature piece of art or comic book themed installations or what have you. And there are a couple wonderful people in Portland by the names of Rachel and and Grant who host exhibits of their own, who brought us all together and labeled all of these things sidewalk joy. (laughs) And they worked really, really hard to connect with all of the hosts and put together an interactive map. So residents of Portland can click on these various installations and find out where they are and just take little side trips to go see them, uh, which is just a lovely idea. I love that so much. Wow, that's so cool. I haven't been back to Portland in a while, but I definitely have to go back there and visit the Lucky Dog Library in person and all of these other displays. That sounds amazing. Uh, I just, I love it because I think it's like people putting a piece of themselves out for others to relate to or enjoy. And it feels intimate in a way, but also just open and welcoming. And here I am, this is what I love. Maybe you love it too. (laughs) And then the community response is just really sweet. This past week, for example, there's a running club in the Portland area, who developed a whole group run based on visiting some of these sidewalk joy installations. 
um, which I just, that was so fun. I love the themes and it's encouraging people to go outside and have these little joys. Yeah, especially I think Portland, like so many cities, has so many struggles right now that are really heavy and really important to solve. And while we're doing that hard work, there also needs to be lightness and joy. We also need to just lean into simple things that are readily available that make us smile. We're really honored to be a part of that community joy. I love that. Your therapy work continues on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you spend your time with Lucky Dog Library? Do you have a maintenance schedule? Do you go out every day and kind of take a look at the inventory and see what it needs? And how often do you change things up? Uh, I would say it kind of goes in bits and spurts. Like sometimes I'll just get a bee in my bonnet and I will have a creative burst of energy and go to the Goodwill and pick out 20 new dog books and look at used toys and think, how could I turn that into a display in the dog park? And so I have that kind of energy that ebbs and flows. But on a regular basis, I would say I always try to change out the display box once a week. That seems like a good amount of turnover. And I'm always adding sticks and balls, I would say, multiple times a week. And of course, we're out walking our dog all the time. So as we stroll by, I just tidy things up to make it look inviting for folks who walk by. So, yeah. Love that. So I have also noticed online, since I follow you on Instagram, that you have guest curators supporting you in the library. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so that actually stemmed from us being out of town on a summer vacation. And I thought it would be so great if we could involve some young people in creating art or messaging or adding books to the library or however they wanted to contribute. No, there was no boundaries at all. It was just what if this would be fun for you, I can offer you a bunch of art supplies and we can just be creative and have fun. And So I first did that with a couple of our neighbors and they just did delightful things, an acrostic poem, some dog jokes in all original artwork. And honestly, like what they produce is so much better and creative and fresh than anything I could come up with. It's really adorable. Um, So I've certainly put out lots and lots of invitations um, online and at the library itself to let people know I am always open to that um, guest hosting, especially like in the summer. I think a lot of families are looking for things for youngsters to do and ways to stay creative. And I haven't had a huge response, but I am toying with the idea since we are so close to an elementary school of maybe popping in and seeing if um, any of the teachers would be willing to have their students spend a little time doing some dog art or writing some dog poems or anything like that could then become material for the library. I love that. That's such a great idea. So I recently, and you know this already, but I recently interviewed E.B. Bartels with her book and then I showed her Lucky Dog Library and how you have celebrated Lucky's life and The book is incredibly thoughtful. I'm glad I read it because it shows you the countless ways that people honor and celebrate their dogs living and after. Um, Has the library helped you mourn, heal, and celebrate Lucky? Yes. And I first have to say, I loved that interview. I really learned a lot and I'm really excited to read that book as well. So thank you for 
offering that interview to all of us. And yes, I think Lucky's departure just was heartbreaking. And I, it took a while to figure out what was going to be the best way to cope with that. And honestly, to kind of move past some of the guilt around his goodbye, because he developed anal gland cancer in 2019 um, and had surgery and that was successful. And so we kind of thought we were past that. And then in 2020 had a number of other issues pop up, including what appeared to be an oral mass, as well as maybe some kind of neurological issue because he didn't have any injuries of any kind, but his, his hind leg was really starting to drag behind him and he was struggling to stand up and walk. Um, and, you know, I think EB talks about this in her book, as I recall from the interview, just the guilt that so many of us feel around what's going to be best for our animal friends. Um, we didn't know exactly Lucky's age. The records aren't entirely clear, but we suspected that at that time when he had these additional health issues pop up that he was maybe 10, maybe 11. And as a larger dog, like I just wasn't sure how much longer he was going to live. And whether we should spend his, what could be anyway, his last year or two proceeding with all these additional imaging and diagnosis kind of procedures and then possible surgery and chemo treatment. I mean, I, I didn't even know what that would look like, but it didn't seem like it was going to be the right way to spend his last year or two. But I still, to this day, have a lot of guilt around that. And I, I honestly, I think some of the guilt comes from thinking we weren't will willing to spend that much. We should have been willing to drop 10, 15,000, whatever it would have cost. But boy, that is, that's just really a tough one. Even if you have some kind of wellness plan or insurance, it can still be thousands and thousands of dollars. And we had spent that the previous summer on his anal gland surgery. So it's just a combination of all these things that left us really struggling to make this decision. But ultimately it just seemed like for Lucky's sake, this was just not going to get better and not result in an extended life or a better quality of life. And, um, you know, we wanted to send him off with as peaceful of a departure as we could, but it's, it was really hard. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that that's one thing that isn't kind of discussed at all, the complexities. I think that's why Evie's book resonated so deeply with me. I have two dogs that are alive, but with illness, and it was impossible to learn how to cope with that because there is no solid answer on whether she would survive or not. And she is going through treatments still at this point, but many doctors, secondary infections, you have an immune suppressant dog, you know, it's really hard to be a dog and not be a dog, right? So yeah. she is a very social dog and just loves people, loves dogs, loves living her life, loves to play. And so it's very difficult to see your dog who has this personality and just not be able to live the life that you would want them to live or that they want to live. Right. So I think what was great about EB's book is that she dives into those complexities and what it's like for humans to 
be in that sort of position. Um, and there is no easy answer, but I do feel that she did a really wonderful job kind of addressing it in a way that, you know, acknowledges the complexities where you can kind of let go of the guilt because really at the end of the day, she talks about the dog really truly knowing how much you loved him or her and that you were trying your best and that you were doing the best that you could. So I always think about that with Chloe and I mean, yeah, it's, it's very hard to go through that. And then, you know, in society, it's like, it's just a dog. It's difficult to explain what a dog relationship, because it's more than that for many people, I would say all of the people that I've interviewed, right. It's not just, it's not just a dog. So I think, I think it's, sorry, I'm getting choked up. (laughs) I am too. I am too. (laughs) But I just, yeah, I completely relate to everything you're saying there. And um, yeah, it's so much more when you are validated and talk to another person who you have a sick dog and you know what they're going through. It's just impossible to make the decision. So I think it's natural to feel that, but at the same time, Lucky would want you to be so happy and look at the legacy, right? That he's left and he's still continuing to heal and bring people together. So I'm just so glad that I've connected with you through another person. I mean, it's kind of incredible the impact and influence that they have on our lives. Oh, it's so true. It just, he continues to be such a gift to me and to anybody who gets to enjoy the library, I hope, but I never would have anticipated any of this would have come from, from having him. So yeah, it really is a, it's a continued gift. And I really relate to what you said about making that heartbreaking decision. That's never crystal clear and knowing, trusting that your dog knows how much you love them. That's a great way to to say that and that you're doing the best that you can. That's what I felt like we really, in that moment with that particular unique set of circumstances, we just did the best we could. And, you know, part of the healing for us was just telling stories over and over and over about him. And we do that today. Like hardly a day goes by that we do not revisit some funny silly or sweet, lucky story. So he's still top of mind (laughs) years later. And we still exchange photos, our family of him that pop up in our memories. So that helps keep his spirit alive. And of course the library helps keep his spirit alive. And that's a real gift. Love that. What was the response when Lucky did pass with the memory center? Did you receive any response from that? Oh, lots of sweet feedback, some cards from employees at the memory care unit, a lovely card from the daughter of a mom who resided in the memory care unit who passed away and just said how much her mom had enjoyed the visits for Lucky. And yeah, really a sweet response from the library as well in when we announced that we wouldn't be returning because of Lucky's health they were really sweet to put together a a signed certificate of appreciation, which is a sweet gesture. I love that. You've also gotten some media attention from this. How has that um, response been? I am so uncomfortable (laughs) with 
any of that, but it's fun to be able to talk about my passion. I do love that. And I really appreciate it. And I'm so flattered, but that is definitely out of my comfort zone. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. Do you envision moving forward with more therapy work in the future? That is an excellent question. I would love to do it again. And here is the dilemma for me. I am reluctant to welcome another dog into our family because of some of the financial commitment that it takes. So not only Lucky's healthcare was really expensive and we wanted to do what we could, but then this year we had a really tragic thing happen. Our dog Zippy, whom my husband was walking on leash, um, saw a squirrel and ran across the road so quickly, the leash slipped out of my husband's hands and he got hit by a car. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we, a 13 pound dog. Um, so that was just absolutely devastating to us. And we are so, 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 so thankful that he's here. He is now a tripod. He lost a leg, but so grateful to all of the facilities we visited that helped put him back together. Um, and with the exception of his hind leg, he is just totally a hundred percent himself, his sweet little, you know, energetic chihuahua, feisty self. But that was just another like, wow, life happens so fast. It's so unpredictable. And these things, and of course he was in really great health. Otherwise we wanted to help him make a recovery, but these things that happen that are unpredictable are so, so expensive. And I just, honestly, I'm not sure I feel right or ready have a second dog until we can fully commit to the expense of it. Cause I never want to be in that situation where I'm thinking, can we afford this level of care? Because of course I want to give it, I want to give hundred percent of the care that any animal deserves. So for, for right now, we are just really, really grateful to have Zippy in our lives. He's definitely just our best little buddy around the house And someday if the opportunity presents itself to adopt another dog, that would certainly be a consideration, like looking into an adoption of a dog who might be suitable for therapy work. But really uh, my main goal in life is just to always have the enormous privilege of sharing our home with any dog, because it's, as you know, like, it's just such a gift to have that. Wow. That's so hard. I can't even imagine. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so glad Zippy's still (sighs) with us. Like you said, it's just the impossible decisions to, with cost and health, the expenses of that. And like you said, you have to be a responsible person and understand what your capacity is. And so I think that that's also something really important to acknowledge that you understand that and that people understand that there is this responsibility when you get an animal. And so you want to make sure you're within your capacity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a commitment we do not take lightly. We want to give it our all for sure. Another thing that Evie and I talked about is a lot of people who have dogs, they'll have dogs again. I feel personally that after Winnie and Chloe, I, I honestly don't know if I could have another dog again. And so you just mentioned that you always want to have 
dogs in your life. And I would ideally want that as well. At the same time, it is heartbreaking. I feel a loss. So when that comes to mind, like, how do you, I don't know, how do you get to that point again, where you feel like ready and your heart is open? Yeah, I certainly understand just the complete devastation that people feel and the hesitation to sign up for that again, because it is a very painful loss and it's hard to get through that. Um, and there's no way, of course, we know this, there's no way to replace ever, you know, the dog that you had. No sense in even trying that because they're all so unique and special. I think for me, I just feel like a piece of me is missing without a dog in my life. I just do, I do not feel like a complete person. And I also feel like I have so much love to give and, and I'm so grateful for the love that's offered in return. And I know having worked at the Humane Society for that short bit of time that I did, and of course, with all these dog rescues that are, that are popping up all over the place, which are just wonderful. There's so many dogs who need and deserve homes and all of that love. So I just live in two worlds, I guess. You live with the grief that you carry forward, and then you live with the joy and embrace and welcome the joy of a new dog friend at the same time. Yeah. I love that, that answer. I do feel like it's, they're just, they're all so special and being in their presence, I'm sure would be helpful. And they do, like you said, they force you to get out of your head and to get out of your feelings by forcing you to go on the walk and paying attention to nature and the, the small little joys and pleasures. So I can totally see how, yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So how can we support you and the lucky dog library? Let's see, probably the, the, the most fun and special way to support us is just to connect. Like that's really what this is all about. It's about connection. I love hearing from people on Instagram or if we connect in person out on the sidewalk, that's at the heart of all of this. If people want to donate used tennis balls, that's really awesome. <laughs> I found this great organization that takes tennis balls from tennis players that maybe no longer have the right bounce level for that sport, but they're perfect for dogs. So we'll always take a batch of recycled tennis balls. And then really just contributing ideas, poems that people come across, books like you recommended Evie's book, which I'm so excited to read myself and then to offer in the library. Love hearing about material that people have found enriching or insightful that I can then offer in the library itself. Yeah, those are probably the ones that come to mind. Yeah. I love that so much. You're going to get some ideas and some inspiration, hopefully make sure to connect online yeah. and follow Lucky Dog Library on Instagram and reach out to you. But I, I'm so glad we were able to talk and I feel so grateful to Liz for sending me those pictures. They completely made my day when I lived in DC and now I live in Texas. I feel like I'm kind of moving closer <laughs> to you, but I definitely owe Liz a visit and we'll for sure be visiting Lucky Dog Library. Oh, that would be just an honor to get to meet you in person and to, yes, share our mutual dog love. <laughs> yes.
For sure. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your time today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Tina. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. If you want to continue the conversation, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter. The link is in the show notes. Here's a quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast. You can be the first to know when new episodes drop. All you need to do is open your favorite listening app, search for mother of dogs and hit the little plus sign or follow button in the upper right corner. I'll see you back here every other Sunday for a new episode.